Hello and welcome back to the God Story Podcast. I'm Brent Siddle and I'm joined once again by my co-host, the Reverend Ian Reid of King's Grace Presbyterian Church, Palmerston North, New Zealand, to look once again at the Gospel of Mark. Hi, Ian. Hi, Brent. How are we today? I'm good, thank you. Now, this time we're looking at chapter 11 of Mark. I'm really excited about doing Mark today. Uh, chapter 11, verses 1 to 26. Now, it's been a while since we met to do one of these Mark um, episodes. Where are we in Mark's Gospel? So Jesus is just about to enter Jerusalem. So we've been slowly working our way towards Jerusalem. We know where, what, where Jesus is going and why he's going there. No one in the story does, though. And so it's slowly building and it's coming to a crescendo of, of kind of this is who he is. And we know, we've known from, right from the start, haven't we, Brent? Right from verse 1. Mm. We've known that this is God's son. Mm. And so finally that's going to get revealed. Now, what is everyone expecting Jesus to do at this point in the proceedings? It seems, this is kind of my perspective. <laughs> you know, you can take this or leave it. He's going to bring a revolution. That, that, that's what I kind of see, see is going on. Here comes the central figure to the revolution. And so he's coming in to overthrow uh, everything that is opposing uh, kind of the, uh, or at least oppressing everyone around them. And the seat of that oppression is in Jerusalem. And so particularly Roman rule, probably some of the, the leading religious leaders as well, they hate him at this point. So he's come to, to establish this new kingdom from Jerusalem. Right, well, let's have a gander, as uh, someone used to say to me in England, let's have a gander at verses 1 to 11. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and to Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, this is a lovely this is a lovely scene. Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those watching then said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Okay, Rita, what's the significance of the donkey's cult? So the, well, it's a fulfillment of prophecy, basically. Uh, and so the, what we're expecting, particularly I think from Zechariah 9, is that here comes the king to come and rid the Jerusalem in particular of God's enemies and kind of reestablish Israel for who it's meant to be. How is this a fulfilment to of Genesis forty nine? Is that the Jew? It talks about it's with Judah, isn't it? That there's there's also a promise given to Judah. What do you remember? What the actual promise is to Judah? Uh, no. Shall I look it up? Shall we look it up? All right. And while you're doing that, I'm going to ask you another question. Sure. How are donkeys associated with kingship in the Bible? Well, uh, you have is it Solomon comes riding in into Jerusalem, in Jerusalem on David's donkey on, on yeah. a donkey yeah. Um, you've got the the Zechariah nine 
thing in uh, the, the Genesis 49. Uh, you've got the Jacob, who, who's Israel, is promise, making promises to his sons. And one of those is to Judah. Now, we're expecting one of Joseph's sons to be named the line of the kings. But it goes to Judah. And it says this, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son will bow down to you. Your, you are a lion's cub, O Judah. You return from the prey, my son, like a lion. He crouches and lies down like a lioness who dares to rouse him. The scepter will not depart from Judah. That's the, you know, the whole idea about the kingship. Nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he comes to, him, to whom it belongs. And who and the obedience of the nations is his. That's another important bit for what we're going to see in a minute in Mark. He will tether his donkey to a vine, ah, okay. his colt to the choicest branch. Mm. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. Okay, so there are a whole lot of us, and I've not written down all the associations of donkeys with kingship. I mean, there's there's a whole lot. Um, uh, in 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 right through the Old Testament, okay. Uh, what sort of king is Jesus? Well, he's not the one that you expect, is he? You know, we're expecting this royal ruler to ride in, probably not on a donkey. You know, donkeys are fine. There's actually a couple. Of, I've got a couple of donkeys that live next to me. You know that? Sorry, this is a random. I've a not, random I've point. not seen your donkeys. They're not. They're not my donkeys. Oh. <laughs> they're, they're the neighbours' donkeys. They make a terrible racket, by the way. They do. I know. <laughs> but they're, they're lovely. You know that, that donkeys have a cross on their back. Yes. It's a you know a random thing that is it all of them or just some breeds they have like this this pattern on their back which is yep. shaped as a cross you know it's, got, it's really odd anyway um, well probably no coincidence I would have thought well yeah well that's what that's what a lot of people say but yeah because because of this passage actually uh, but we're expecting this great king this one riding on a huge steed you know kind of coming bearing a sword what does he do he comes in in on a donkey maybe even the colt of a donkey you know kind of a it, it, it's a little bit unclear whether there's two donkeys or just one, mm. whether it's the mum and the, and, the, and the baby or whether it's just the, yeah. Yeah, so they brought the mother along as well as the baby, as you would, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, donkeys associated with humility, of course. Yeah, of course. The, you know, kind of the, it's not the great steed. It's the, it's the work you know, kind of vehicle. <laughs> kind of, it's, the, it's the ute you yeah. know, of the ancient world. Yeah, yeah kind of, or the truck. You know, kind of, it's... it's what does a lot of so much work in the ancient world was done through donkeys and things like that because they just, even though they're, they're small, they're compact, but they just keep doing their thing. Mm. Now, what's the significance of the palm branches here, Rito? Well, so you have all of these um, people laying down these palms. And it's probably, there's probably more than one thing going on here. Uh, so on, the, on a surface level, you've got the... That even the feet of the donkey, that of the king's king's donkey, can't touch the uh, the ground. That they kind of the, it's too precious. So on a surface level, you have that. But you've, I think you've also got some connot- connotations or kind of allusions back to was at the feast of tabernacles, mm, mm. Uh, where the, or the the feast of tents, you know, kind of where they go out and they make or feast of booths, isn't it? Where they go out and they make a little. Tree houses, houses. Tree houses. Tree houses. Out of the branches mm, and stuff like mm. that, yeah. Yes, it seems that they use palm branches sometimes for those. And the palm branches were also associated with Gentiles, which I find interesting. They're in the temple as well, aren't they, with the cherubim? Yeah, um, is that as you're going towards the Holy of Holies, mm, you have mm. these kind of pictures of, of palm trees, in some way signifying the Garden of Eden. Yes. Uh, and you know, what else have you got there? You've got 
angels there as well. You know, Ch- kind of. Cherubim. So, the, yes, yeah. the people are like cherubim with the palm trees in the temple. The palm trees are used to make booze, which is the picture of the Feast of Tabernacles was it was supposed to be Israel encamped around the glory cloud of God up in a tree house. So yeah. you, were surrounded by, you were surrounded by the presence of God. And they appear too in the temple with the cherubim imagery. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot going on. How does Jesus' entry into the temple fulfill Old Testament passages about the Lord coming in judgment to his temple? One big thing, Malachi. Mm. Yeah, and so if you read Malachi, it's just so clear of what's going on here. All of the Israelites are saying, when is God going to come and re-enter the temple? So the first temple has been destroyed. The glory cloud is gone. They rebuild the temple. In Haggai, we hear it's not as good as the other one and all the priests and everyone's saying god come back to your temple and what is malachi what does malachi prophesy i'm going to come back but you're not going to expect it mm. this is that moment mm. and there's a, more to do with the temple i think in the next passage verses 12 to 21 of chapter 11 on the following day when they came from bethany he that's jesus was hungry and seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was touching, teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers." And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Now, how many times does Jesus come to the temple in this chapter? Is it three times? Three times. Yeah. Do you think that's significant? I would think so. All, all numbers are significant. Mm, I, I would think so. But I'm I'm interested too, Rito, in the in the symbolism of the fig tree. Now, what is the what is this episode? On the surface, this seems rather mean of Jesus to come and curse a fig tree. What is actually going on here? Hey, there's a fig tree, and there shouldn't be figs on it, and there aren't figs on it, so I'll curse it. <laughs> you know, kind of. It's it's, it's a bit odd, right? It, it is a bit of an odd story, but. So the fig tree pops up a number of times in the Old Testament, but particularly either as a symbol of the temple or a symbol of all of Israel as well. And it's this, this kind of symbol of kind of the, this flourishing tree that God has planted. Is it all the, I think in one of them, all the tree, all the, is it the birds come and nest in this fig tree? You know, kind of this, this beautiful image of this flourishing fig tree that God has planted. And uh, that's not what we're seeing here though. Yes, I, th- I think it's symbolic, isn't it? The, the, I would argue the fig tree probably initially refers to the temple, and Jesus is, is saying that the temple should have brought beautiful things, but uh, you have um, the Jewish leaders have prevented it from um, from its comp- fullness, and and ruined it through all this other stuff that's happening in it, and so yeah, he he, he comes to cleanse it, and then he curses it. Yeah. So why does Jesus cleanse the temple there? Yeah, this I think this is the big, the big thing that you, you're touching on is that it's not doing its job. So what's happened is 
the temple is divided up into into different courts and they're kind of they're made up of squares and so right at the center you have the holy of holies where the high priest can only enter once a year then you've got kind of the, the priestly area or, or s- several sections of priestly area then you've got the the male jewish male court where they can go and worship then the female court uh, but then on right on the outside you have the, what's called the gentile court where gentiles can come and worship at the temple but what's happened is uh, that just not long before Jesus comes, uh, they've the religious leaders or the kind of the temple authorities they've allowed people to set up in the Gentile court so that you can change money because you couldn't use Roman money in the temple. You could only use special temple money. Uh, kind of sounds like you know going to Disneyland or something. You can only lose, use Disney dollars. It wasn't quite like that. It was that you couldn't have the figure have it have a, an inscription of a, of a Roman ruler on your coin in the temple uh, and also the selling you know kind of birds and other things as as which they'll be used as sacrifices now that's not the problem the problem is not the selling and the changing of money the problem is where it's situated because they basically set up a huge market in the where the gentiles are allowed to come and worship what does that do can you go and worship you know in the middle of a marketplace where everyone's you know screaming and buying and selling and that, that's the big problem. So what then have the chief priests done effectively to Israel's mission? Because Israel had a mission to the nations. Yeah, and you, and you see that mission physically in the temple. That's why I think you know, kind of it, the, the idea of the fig tree is both is the temple at its very core, but it's also all of Israel, that they've cut it off. The, you know, the nations can no longer come. What was the whole point of Israel? It was to do one thing. It was the city on the hill... To, to show to the whole world uh, this, the great glory of this great God. And so what's the response of the religious authorities there in verse 18? Well, they hate Jesus. <laughs> they want to kill him. Yeah, and, but why? That's the big thing. Um, you know, they, they, they want to kill him and they fear the crowd around him because of what he's teaching. Isn't that really interesting? Again, now we've seen this as a pattern right from chapter 2 is that... These people want to get rid of Jesus, you know, kind of the whole time. And here is their final, their chance to do that. Uh, that, you know, he's taking our authority away. Let's get rid of him. What does the fig tree tell us about the future of the temple and of Israel, do you think? Well, it's coming to an end. It's kind of the, the picture, isn't it? Uh, and so, you know, what, what is, you know, we'll, we'll see it in, in the, we see it here that, you know, the fig tree's curse and withered, you know, kind of that this mode of operation is coming to an end. Uh, it hasn't fulfilled its purpose, which it never would have, you know, kind of. It was never going to, was it? That, um, that it was, God sets it up as to show us, uh, to, well, firstly, to bring the fulfilment of his plans, but also to show us that through these religious means, we cannot regain relationship with him. Mm. It's a really fabulous passage, and um, the way it's written and set up is amazing. It's another Mark sandwich, by the way, too. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Because you have the, um, you've got the fig tree, then you've got the clearing of the temple, then we go back to the fig tree again. Mm. Okay, verses 22 to 26. Uh, and Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart 
but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. What does Jesus mean here? Does he actually think we're going to pray to have mountains thrown out, th- thrown out and move mountains, and th- literally? Maybe. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, yeah, and it kind of doesn't quite seem connected to the whole fig tree, right? But what, what I, think he, I think there's two things going on. One is that that, that mode is about to pass away. A new mode is coming where this is what this new community is like. It's a, it's a faithful, prayerful new community uh, who uh, kind of is in relationship with, with God. I don't think Jesus is saying, hey, pray for this mountain to be thrown away into the sea and, and it's going to happen. It's, I think there's kind of a couple, potentially one or more things going on. One is that he says, uh, if anyone says, to this mountain... So it might be important to the. It's important, I think, the mountain that he's pointing to. Is he pointing to Mount Zion, so or the Temple Mount, or is he pointing to the Mount of Olives, or, or both? Yeah, or potentially both, because they're, mm. they're very close to each other. Because I always say that when he says this mountain, he's talking about the temple. That's the connection back with the fig tree incident. It, it, yeah, it could be, mm. or it could be um, the Mount of Olives, which is. Right. Or, or probably both. Or, or potentially both. And or, because there's a scripture, so you can, it, yep. it needn't be one or the other exclusively. So, so it's more about, um, we need to understand what is he saying. And so there's prophecy about the Mount of Olives, which is that this will be flattened and, you know, kind yep. of, that basically the whole idea is that streams of people are going to come up to the New Jerusalem. This that, is a reference back to Zechariah 14, is it? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, where... You know, a big valley is going to open up. Mount of Olives is going to kind of be done away with. Uh, and, you know, streams of people are going to come up to the temple. or well, God's presence, you know, kind of, because God is dwelling, you know, on, um, in Jerusalem. And uh, come, they're all going to come and worship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it could also be the if he's pointing to the, the temple mount, is that this is going to be done away with. Mm-hmm. Yes, and therefore it, casting the mountain into the sea could be a reference to the destruction of the temple in AD 70. Yeah, so it could be that, yeah, or both, potentially. Well, I, would, I would say it's both, yeah. probably, um, knowing the way that Scripture works. Now, why uh, is it important, Rito, to forgive others there in verse 25? What's going on there? Yeah, it's not, kind of, it's not saying that if you haven't forgiven someone, you're not, you're not forgiven yourself. But it's a re- kind of, what, what, let me reread it. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. It's not saying that you're, you're unforgiven by God if you hold something against. Because otherwise we sit there thinking, oh, who have I not forgiven? Then I need to go around and forgive. You know, oh, otherwise God won't forgive my sins. It's, it's not that. It's a reference, I think, to, hey, God is a forgiving God. Look at how you have offended him. You need to also reflect exactly what he is like in being a forgiving person too. Mm. Wonderful. What a fabulous passage. Okay, Rido, the Reverend Ian Reid of King's Grace Presbyterian Church, Palmerston North, New Zealand. Thank you once again for our time together with Mark. I'm looking forward to the next one, which we're going to do as soon as I switch the recorder off. Uh, And thanks to our creative team at Liquid Edge who sponsor this podcast and who take care of things behind the scenes. Ian, thank you so much. Thanks, Brent. 
We really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. If you want to help us make more great episodes like this one, you can head over to our Patreon page and become a God Story Podcast supporter. You'll receive our undying gratitude, plus a few bonus goodies for your ongoing support. Just visit patreon.com slash godstorypodcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash godstorypodcast. As always, you can get in touch with us via our website, godstorypodcast.com.